Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who came, saw, and saw it again. Until they ran out of wood. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. Oh yeah, it's Wood Talk number 397 for July 10th, 2017. On today's show, we're talking about how to know if your furniture can handle the load, moving a project from AC to non-AC room, and should you mill everything all at once? Good topics there. Oh, by the way, did you guys hear last week how I just completely butchered the dates and got all I got everything all confused? I I think it was an email extra that I referred to as the next episode up, and it was it was just a mess. So we're back. Only on you care. I, I tried to call you on it, but you did. You're like, no, that's how I do it now. You I, stupid uh, idiot. I need jerk <laughs> reacted. I need jerk reacted. Which whenever Shannon calls right. me on something, I'm like, shut up. And it doesn't even it doesn't even matter if I'm right or wrong. I just can't let him. I can't let him win. Is what it comes down to. You are you big jerk. All right. So we want to thank some folks who helped us out over on Patreon. That's Patreon.com/slash/WoodTalk. Jim Rollison and Billy Newton. Thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate the support. And we have something we'll talk about a little bit later. And what's new? Where we're going to start doing? Well, we've been doing hangouts, but we haven't been as um, consistent about them. So we have a little announcement about that later that I think people will enjoy. And uh, that's really about it. So let's get into what's on the bench. For me, I'm uh, refinishing a cutting board for a neighbor. And it's uh, it's one of those where we would look at it and go, it's probably not a good idea to build it like that. You know, there's a lot of like herringbone design inside of straight grain and then a frame all around it, a mitered frame all around it. And it's been used for a while. So the frame actually has held together. Uh, but the loss of moisture content has caused a lot of the interior pieces to have very, very big gaps in them. So I'm just sanding it down, like pulling the dust off, re-oiling it, and giving it back. I'm not doing any kind of crack repair on it because I'm not, I mean, would you guys want to use epoxy on a cutting board? Like I would use it for, I mean, let's say there was some kind of a stress, fra- stress fracture that I was trying to clamp back together. I might epoxy that joint because it becomes like a hairline. A thin joint at that point. But if you're actually gap filling, and I'm talking, you know, at least a 16th of an inch in, in width on some of these, would you be comfortable with epoxy on a cutting board like that? Yep. Was that a yep? 
Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yep. I've, I've stabilized like cracked and punky wood doing the same thing. So sure. I'm, I'm more just concerned about food safeness. Do we have a whole oh. show about this? <laughs> Whatever. I think it's not we my had food. A, we had a food safeness uh, discussion on finishes, I think. Oh, epoxy's a finish. It cures. It's <laughs> I the just same get thing. I get I think when it's my own stuff, I, I see it a little bit differently. I might take a little <laughs> bit more of a risk for some reason, but like when it's my neighbors, yeah. I get really nervous about it. So I'm I'm not gonna actually fill these things. I'm just gonna leave them as is and just say, Hey, you know, maybe just don't cut meat on it. And uh, <clears> I use I use uh, epoxy on my fly rods all the time and I'm always chewing on those. Yeah, those are delicious, aren't they? <laughs> I've used epoxy on pens before, chewing on those. Well, in fact, you yeah. know what I do? I made molds of baby rattles and just made some epoxy rattles for my kids, and they just gnaw on those things. It's great for teething. Yeah, it's kind of like those compressed rawhide bones. They don't actually, yeah. like, you can't break parts off that mm-hmm. they can choke on. They just dissolve, so it's good. Like a, or like a Nyla bone for, for dogs. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's good for their teeth, too. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess I just am a little bit paranoid about it, and I'm going to leave it as is. Uh, but that's one thing I'm working on, and then today just really didn't have much time before the show, but I got uh, started to, to do some of the mortising on uh, the rails for the chairs that I'm doing. And the problem is I keep putting too much time between working on this chair so that when we're dealing with like miters and I've got to get all the joinery just right, there's so much potential for error. And it's like it times a thousand when I put five days between my work sessions because I got to get my brain back into it, got to double check the drawings and it's, it's just a mess. So I'm, I feel like I'm just like, I don't know, trying to walk through uh, you know, 16 inch deep snow and I'm just, barely getting through it. So hopefully pretty soon I'll, I'll be done with this. Cause I really feel like I need to move on to other stuff. You guys know how it is. This is turning into like a Shannon project. You're still talking about this. It really is. Yeah, seriously. I do. Come I on, feel like Shannon. I'm working at hand tool speed here. It's crazy. <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, that's it for me, Matt. You're the man about town. What have you been doing? I just got back from Houston. Hey, nice. Hey, hey, way to plan it. Going to Houston in July. Good job. You know, Matt. Everyone said that, and it was literally exactly the same temperature humidity there the day that I left here. Hmm. Hmm. Just like home. It was like mid-90s and like 50-60% humidity. Mm -hmm. Exactly the same weather. Nice. Okay. Good to know. That's about about the weather, because everybody seems to care about the weather. Also, I got a haircut. Yay! People can stop complaining about that, too. (laughs) I like it though. It looks good. I, I, I find something else to complain about. I commented before that it all fits under your headphones and that's nice to see. It's true. That's it's true. all in there. I actually can hear you guys better now because there isn't like a hair layer between my ears and headphones. Well, usually we can't even see the headphones. It's just swallowed it's by, by throat. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's all in there. All right. So oh. you, you posted a picture of this Houston event that you went to and to me, because it was in a gymnasium with round tables and, and little chairs around them. It looked like it was going to be a pancake breakfast. But <laughs> there were donuts. There was just a donut there, breakfast. There were donuts. Okay, good. Oh, there was that. So that was, that was pretty good. But they had <laughs> there was there's gonna be a lunch there too. So they had the round tables for lunchtime, but they had the the rows for actually like during the presentation. And there were about a hundred people there in nice. the audience. I was there talking for I guess started around nine and then I finished the formal presentation at like four and then I hung up for like another hour after that. So it was a pretty long day, mm-hmm. but I think it went, it went pretty decently well. I want to say a big thank you to everyone down there for inviting me in the first place. That was a big risk on your part. Just kidding. That's not a big <laughs> risk. <laughs> oh man, I had a good time. I met everyone down there was fantastic and nice and it was just, it was a really, really great experience. Cool. That's cool. 
you know, and I, know you guys, I know you guys kind of poo-pooed woodworking clubs and guilds in the past because apparently you had like the worst experiences with them ever. But the ones that I have experienced with the Houston Woodworkers Club and the Minnesota Woodworkers Guild, both fantastic clubs and guilds. And I think they're like a good benchmark for like, is a club good? Mm-hmm. So like the Houston club, like they bring in speakers like me and like they do stuff every month and they have like, actual events and things. So you can kind of gauge like how good this club is going to be based on whether what they, they have hire schedules. you to come out <laughs> I or see. that. I see. That's the only ones metric. worth joining are ones that I'm a member of, and I'm a <laughs> I'm an honorary member of the Houston Woodworkers Club. Yeah, there is something to that, though. You're right. If they are actively bringing in outside people to do presentations and stuff like that, chances are this is a more active, engaged club. So you're going to have a better experience there for sure. Well, that's good. It'd be interesting, you know, kind of like all of our shows. It'd be fun to revisit them a year and see how much we contradict each other because <laughs> I, had, I had a very similar experience. The the club that, that I spoke at down in D.C., mm-hmm. that is obviously an example of a well-run club. So the, the what did Matt say, the poo-pooing, the poo-pooing that we did <laughs> um, is entirely indicative of our own local experience, oh. you know, just and, and ultimately what it comes down to is that one or two people that have shouldered the load to keep the thing organized and keep it going uh, has made it so good. Cause I posed the same question in the Hanchel school community. Like I was so shocked with my positive experience at this Washington club. I was like, well, wh- what kind of clubs do you guys have? And I was getting the same thing. Like one guy would be like, Oh, they're terrible. Nobody ever shows up. And then other people were like, I don't know what you're talking about. I look forward <laughs> to it every month. Like it's the coolest. It's like the highlight of my month. Yeah. And actually, um, <clears throat> cause, uh, uh, this was the group that, uh, Rebecca DeGroote is in or one of the groups that she's in. Cause I saw her posing, posing with Matt and, um, <laughs> I and did get to meet her in, um, uh, the, the, the podcast, the maker cast that she did. Um, she talked heavily about the three guilds that she belongs to and like how beneficial it's been. So mm-hmm. yeah, obviously the Houston area is doing it right. Well done Houston area. I think Texas in general is big in woodworking just in terms of like supporting it with classes and things like that. I've heard a lot of activity in Texas. So for whatever reason it is. Big state. There's that, I guess it is a big state. Everything's bigger down there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I've been playing with finish, which I know is, is weird considering most people don't think I ever finish anything, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I finished my, my blanket chest and you know, I step back and look at it and it's like, wow, lots of figure. And it actually really kind of scared me because um, anytime you see heavy amounts of figure, it's like, OK, we got to pop the grain and make it all look good. And the more I look at this it, and and I posted some stuff on Instagram and people are like, wait, there's not finish on that yet. Like you look at it and go, wow, the grain is really popping. And I started to worry, like, what is this going to look like if I actually apply finish and the grain <laughs> becomes even more present? Because there's a there's a lot of molding to this. It's actually the computer right now is sitting on it. It's now that it's it's here it's it's now shop furniture it's been in the shop so long it's now shop furniture but the um the the lines of the case and the dovetails and all the kind of design elements that add these shadow lines and everything i think are going to be totally distracted and invisible if i pop the grain too much so i'm actually doing the opposite and trying not so much to dumb down the figure but kind of blend it a little bit more and having to do finishing experiments the opposite direction. Because (laughs) I I did some experiments to pop the grain on some scrap boards left over from this, and it was exactly what I thought. It was like, holy crap, that looks awesome. 
But then once you like overlay moldings and dovetails and everything, those details, all this time that I've spent just kind of disappears because all you see is the finish. And it was such a um, kind of contrary experience to so much of what we see. You know, got to pop that bird's eye, pop that fiddle back, all this stuff. And I want just the opposite. So turns out I don't have to do that much to dumb down the finish. I'm doing a little bit of um, like blotch control type work. Mm-hmm. Um I'm even diluting the blotch control because I don't want that much. Um, I, I certainly want the, fin- the figure to pop. But, um, yeah, it's been kind of an interesting experience. So hopefully to maybe tonight or tomorrow I will move ahead. My experiments will be done and I'll actually be able to start applying stuff to this case. At the same time, I'm doing stuff for the lumberyard, um, playing with bleach and fun chemicals and things to uh, – uh, anybody who's looked at my Instagram feed saw that we've been sunning 8,000 linear feet of teak on the roof hmm. at the yard. So I'm going to do that the artificial way because um, the sun is just bleach. It's it's an oxidizer. And so is bleach. Obviously, it's an oxidizer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, uh, I'm going to use bleach. And I've got a couple different um, formulations that I picked up from some clients and some boat builders that do a lot of work with teak. Because, yeah, it's all well and good to be able to, to lay your teak out, let it sit in the sun for two days. But, you know, we don't all have that luxury, nor do we have a rooftop that you can lay out all the teak on. Um, even this blanket chest, I set it out in the sun on Sunday and it got about three hours of sun. But I can't leave it out there. I suppose I could. It's kind of heavy. You'd have to be a really motivated <laughs> thief to walk off with this blanket chest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're willing to walk off with it, I suppose. But, you know, it's it's nice that we say, you know, put it out in the sun or let that acclimate for two weeks. But it's not always possible. So I'm going to be doing um, tonight and tomorrow morning playing with bleach, highly caustic chemicals and fun stuff. Now I just need to get some potassium dichromate and breathe it in put on your big black plastic gloves and mask and look like you're cooking yeah. meth <laughs> i need to take a page out of a spagnolo playbook and like go get like a lab coat and props yes i need props definitely yeah. do it definitely a wig wig for sure props and a wig that'd be great well good yeah. stuff uh all right so that's for uh what's on the bench let's get to what's new uh let me see what did i write here so on July 17th, and this is what I was mentioning before, uh, we're going to do our hangout. This is going to be a monthly thing, so we're going to plan it ahead of time. And this way, folks who are eligible for this will know about it ahead of time instead of last minute like we usually do. Uh, so July 17th, <laughs> approximately 5 p.m. Eastern, we're going to do our hangout for our $20 and higher patrons. So it is a patron bonus, and if you are one of those people, we will definitely post the link to it as we get closer to the event and uh, you'll have the three of us there to talk to because I guess that's a fun thing to do. And uh, (laughs) certainly we might come with a topic, a starting topic, but definitely it's all about questions you guys might have any topics you want to discuss. Anything's really uh, on the table. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So go check that out at patreon.com slash wood talk. It's like the show, but it's just you and like, like last time we did it, it was only like what four people yeah four or five people yeah, yeah. it's like the show with no record button yeah and very little filter <laughs> you can you can throw kickback and we can immediately kick it right back at you we can be like zip it shut up zip it you're wrong we just block it before it even gets to us uh okay so another thing i want to bring your t- attention to here is a video by a gentleman named mark fuller and we'll put this uh, embed in the show notes I had a few people contact me about this. I watched the video and I was like, this, uh, see if I could do anything to help the guy out. He is looking to contact 
uh, Norm Abram and just not necessarily have a conversation with him, but just let him know how integral he has been and his influence of, of uh, Mark and, and his uh, path through the things that he does. And I guess, um, I think he suffers from cerebral palsy and he, you know, you just, just watch the video. It's, it's heartwarming to see what the, what he's trying to do. And this video is kind of just a plea for help. If anybody knows how to get in touch with Norm or someone who knows how to get in touch with Norm to uh, see if you can make the connection, if they're not interested, they're not interested, but at least give it a shot. So I actually, uh, tweeted at, um, Kevin O'Connor, from uh, mm-hmm. this old house and uh, said, Hey, I don't know if you guys have time, check this thing out. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to assume anything <laughs> when it comes to stuff like this. Uh, but here's the video, check it out if you could pass it on. So hopefully on. we'll make that contact. That'll be uh, nice to see. I thought you were close personal friends with them. You took a picture with them at some point. Yes. I stood in line and took a picture <laughs> and got an autograph like everyone else did that day. <laughs> and that makes you close personal friends, right? And I, I must have posted a picture of it somewhere and people were like, oh, well, you met Norm. I'm like, yeah, so did like 50 other people, <laughs> you know, who were all at that show. It's uh, not, not. But you said he knew who you were. He did. That's what he said. See? That doesn't mean that I know him. Like we didn't, Mark, uh, we didn't exchange on. phone numbers, <laughs> you know? He didn't, sli- he didn't slide me a folded piece of paper with his digits on it or anything. <laughs> I know you're just trying to be modest, all right? Okay. Yeah. You have. Some very important <sighs> friends that you don't want to share is what I'm hearing. Look, I do know David Marks, okay? <laughs> maybe maybe David can get you in touch with Norm. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a very roundabout way to go. But yeah, man, that might work. <laughs> I know Tommy Mack, too. I mean, I've got friends in high places, guys. Come on, back that's off. right. See? Norm is so much like the old guard, though, that I feel like he's he's untouchable in a sense like he's got several layers that you have to go through before you actually get to the man himself maybe maybe that's a false impression but that's what it feels like okay. i don't know what to tell you i don't know what to tell you either move okay no let's move we'll on keep talking about this. matt matt's waiting for you to take a drink mark hold on still I got, waiting i got my wwf cup here too perfect <laughs> <laughs> all right this is from kai and i actually saw this from a few different people this is a radial song of logs and essentially what you're doing here is pretend like you're cutting like a pizza up. So you got like uh, a bunch of wedges. You're turning a log into a bunch of wedges. And I haven't seen this before, like people actually sawing them out this way. Usually when you see this done, it's typically done like when you're riving it out of a log. I see a lot of like boat, boat builders doing this because it's going you know, to follow the grain. But I've never seen anybody just sawing wedges out of a log like that. But it's pretty it reminds cool. me of like a Play-Doh kit. Oh, yeah. Or, or a pasta machine. There you go. <laughs> so I did read this article. Can you kind of clarify? What's that? Read the article? I did. Yeah. With my eyeballs. It was pretty neat. I do it for uh, old time's sake once in a while, but, but on the pie or something. can you guys explain to me what the big deal is with this? <laughs> well, um, I mean, <laughs> if, if you cut out the wedge, first of all, it's, it's radial. So yes. you are going to have a quarter sawn, nature so you can Got go one much. step further and actually saw a board from that little pie wedge um so the quarter sawing process that we normally would go through it kind of is i hate to say a shortcut to that but you, you're created to cants if you will mm-hmm. that you could then saw quarters on boards from now but before some you go too people, far are you sawing when you now have that wedge are you taking mm-hmm. one face of that wedge and that's going down and you're considering that you're flat and now you're just cutting your boards off of that and they get narrower as you go? Or are you continue yes. to make radial cuts out of that wedge? No, no. You, your board would just get narrower as you do that. Okay. But 
I have seen several architects and designers actually using the wedge shapes as an architectural feature. So, you know, they're cutting the bark side off. So you still have this little pie, pie piece and they're using that as like siding. I've seen it done in vertical siding. So you've got this angled look. It's very mm-hmm. cool looking, um, very, very architecturally like avant-garde or whatever. Well, that's that's um, why so, I was curious because they did say that in the article that like architects and builders are really enjoying using this material. And like, why? Like unless they are embracing that wedge yeah. shape, what difference? Well, it's super stable, first of all. Right, but um, so is, you know, quarter sawn material that they could buy elsewhere. Like what, what about this specially sawn stuff were they drawn to? So I think that's what it was. I couldn't see a difference in the pictures that were showing. So that just might be it. I couldn't tell that it was actually utilizing some of those wedge shapes. Maybe. Pointy. I don't know. <laughs> People <laughs> like pointy. Pointy stuff. <laughs> they do. Okay, good stuff. Uh, let's get into our kickback. We actually have two voicemail kickbacks here to start us off. First one is from Matt Scranton. Uh-oh. Gentlemen, this is Matt Scranton up here in Buffalo, New York. Now, on the most recent episode of Wood Talk, episode 395, Mark stated that everybody calls in with a kickback that has to take a shot at one of you guys. Well, I love you guys. That's it. Bye. <laughs> All right, look, I know Matt Scranton. I'm looking at this voicemail and trying to figure out what is his angle? What, yeah. Where's the, where's the veiled insult here? I know it's got to be there somewhere. Yeah, that's very um, uncharacteristic of yeah. him. Mm. Well, thanks for that, Matt. Uh, love you too, I guess. Uh, okay. Shane won't say it. Speaking of, uh, <laughs> he won't. He won't. He's resistant. He's, he's tough to love, or he's tough to be loved by, I guess. Um, another troublemaker, Carl Hudson, has some kickback. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Carl Hudson here. I have some kickback on what a good nickname for Mark would be. Matt. Is Harry Giggler because, well, he's Harry and he giggles. It basically wrote itself. Shannon is invariably named the Albina Gorilla because of his fear of sunlight after spending years in his basement and, invariably, his eerie resemblance to his brother from another mother, Harambe. May he rest in peace. Mark, on the other hand, has proven a bit more difficult. Italian Stallion is an easy mark, but clearly too cliche, and frankly, I don't know if he makes a very good horse. Also, while he is hairy, Matt has already claimed that adjective, and rightfully so. <laughs> As such, I would like to proffer the name that I feel best describes the man who has it all. He has all the tools. He has all the gadgets. He has the love of cartoons. He is Spags McDuck. <laughs> no, I know what you're thinking. You're not quite sure about that one. However, once you picture him doing the backstroke to a giant pool of Domino Tenons and Honda money, that he has in that new backyard of his, it will all become clear. Spags McDuck is at it again. Have a great day, gents. Love the show. I don't know. What do you think, Spags McDuck? I don't know if that's got staying power. <laughs> I like it. it. Just reminds me of a, of a Photoshop that I did of one of our salespeople, the lumberyard. I photoshopped him in that pose of swimming through the pool of money, the gold coins. Uh huh. Just to tick off the rest of the sales force. <laughs> nice. I do like DuckTales, though. Gotta say. Oh, yeah. Good I don't stuff. know. Maybe after the new DuckTales movie comes out, then that reference will be a little bit more relevant. Maybe that's when we'll uh, adopt that. But You're making a DuckTales movie? How yeah. did I not know this? Oh, dude. Look it up. Whoa. It's happening. DuckTales. Woo. All right. So uh, first kickback here besides those two. So that would make the third one. <laughs> 
Math is hard. Sorry. Uh, Brian Brazil wrote in. He says, I always find it fascinating that the hypothetical average woodworker gets up in arms about the $750 domino being used, but doesn't bat an eye at a $2,000 table saw. But the concept of an average woodworker reminded me of a great conversation I had at Fine Woodworking Live this spring. Uh, Diami, Kyle, Wilbur, Carly, Ferrara, Ferrara. And I were enjoying some adult beverages in a hotel, and uh, Diami said something like, the coolest thing about woodworking is the diversity. We've got a roofer, a doctor, a programmer, a blacksmith, and I never remember what Kyle does. <laughs> I think it's actually, uh, I think he's a Chippendale dancer. That's uh, just the yes. rumor that I've heard. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but it involves universities and hospitals. Oh, maybe I was wrong. And we're all brought together by the love of woodworking. And we couldn't work in much different ways. I work mostly with hand tools. Diami works mostly with routers. Kyle only makes chairs. <laughs> Carly works mostly with steel and Wilbur pulls his planes the wrong way. <laughs> I doubt you could find anything average in that motley crew. Very, very good point, Brian. Good point. It's a good cross section. Actually, we got a, a ton of uh, feedback on the average woodworker discussion. So go to the website. If you can look that up, there's a lot of great comments there that you can uh, kind of catch up on and join in the conversation. By the way, Carly, that's the, the blacksmith girl from, uh, was that Ellen's show? Oh really? The, the, the furniture show was show? it? Was it? It wasn't. It wasn't the Spike TV show. I. I don't think Ellen's it design was Ellen, challenge, right? I think now I'm running those shows run together. But she's famous. She's that famous blacksmith chick. Whoa, whoa, whoa! So why she's <laughs> hanging out with those goofballs? Well, because they're the modern woodworkers. Did they trick her and like? Oh, we're a very famous group of woodworkers. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think. I mean, I think Diami. Uh, like friended her on, on Twitter like a long time ago. And it's only the relationship has only grown from there. That's fantastic. That's Yami. Well, Yami's yeah, all he's, about he sticks breaking on down bridges and bringing together weird groups of people like that Motley crew and yes. forcing he, them to discuss what is modern. He grows on you like a fungus, that guy. <laughs> Speaking of fungus, this one's from Bob DeVries. Oh, wait, oh, oh, sorry, wow. Bob. Oh. Bob. Oh, he's going to call in about that one. Uh, tulips are like a fungus in Tulip City. Um, I know nothing about botany, obviously. In the words of Joe Walsh, I am an average, ordinary guy. Average height, weight, age. I consider my woodworking to be average, too. Not that I haven't improved over the years, but that as I look around, my work doesn't stand out for being exceptional at either end of the scale, good or bad. I'm slowly starting to feel I deserve better quality tools and will be saying goodbye to the tools I used and enjoyed so much before I knew what I know now. Things I didn't know then didn't restrict my enjoyment, just my abilities. Even that's not fair to say as others make magnificent things with very rudimentary tools. They are not average. I am statistically average in all respects. I'm perfectly fine with that. Average people have been known to do extraordinary things, and I think that is the feeling I have something extraordinary in me that someday will get out, even if I'm just average. No matter how much I progress, I will always feel my woodworking is just average. Now let's go hope the dog do is hard. What? I thought that might be some kind of inside joke or reference I didn't get. Is it? Uh, wow. Maybe it is. Maybe he's thinking flaming bags of dog do are going to be on his front porch and he's going to stamp it out. So he's hoping it's hard. Maybe. Or uh, when he's scooping the poop, there really is nothing worse than wet dude when you're trying to like scoop it up into a little scoopy thing. It's true. Like if it's, it's hard, it's much easier. Never go, after, never go, never do the poop scooping after you water the lawn. Like wait till later in the day. Now, in summer, it's always good to let it bake and desiccate dry and turn into the white dog do. Dude, you want to hear a total disgusting side story? Of course. So we were on a 
acre, <laughs> acre property in Arizona, right? And it was mostly rock landscaping and gravel in the backyard. So we had two dogs, two big dogs. They poop a lot. But the frequency with which I had to actually go out and scoop the poop was so minimal that now here with a smaller yard and it's all grass and I have to scoop pretty much every day, it made me suddenly realize just how much poop I let just dry and petrify in that backyard and those little poop nuggets <laughs> turned into rocks. They just look like part of the gravel. Oh, and, and, and now I understand oh. why it stunk so bad when it rained. <laughs> I was going to say, what happens when it rains and all that poop rehydrates? It doesn't do it very often, but when it does, oh, baby, there's like, you can see the green fumes rising from my backyard. So it it all makes sense now. But yeah, that's my disgusting little piece of information to share with you guys. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm glad um, glad we talked about that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway, save us from this. I'm sure the listeners will appreciate it as well. All right. This next question from Kevin. (laughs) He says, is the average woodworker listening to woodworking podcasts? I think the, I think they're building simple projects they see on HGTV or Family Handyman magazine or similar or something similar. That's what got me interested in all this, at least. Then I think those that are really down, drawn to the hobby, seek out more. Wow, I am, I'm just thinking about poop liquefying right now. <laughs> Come on, clean it up, Cremona. I can't, can't help it. Let's go. You're too much. You you give such vivid imagery. I like to tell a good story. What can I the say? The things that are happening <laughs> in your life, apparently. <laughs> yep. You have too much time to think about this stuff. Uh. <laughs> You're just saying that because I sent you a topless Instagram photo the other day. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for that. You're I was welcome. too busy looking at the Lego helicopter. No, look, That's true. That look, was the first thing I was drawn to as look well. Closer look closer at the, the picture, helicopter. fellas. Someone's okay, not wearing back on the rails here, people. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I just got that. Like, Basically, this is what a got Google it. Hangout is like with us. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So, uh, th- Actually, that's terrible because no one's going to want to do it now. Yeah, like, oh, true. if that's what it is, okay, I'm out. Yeah, basically, whatever. Anyway, um, should I start over? Nope. I don't know. Whatever. Then I think those... Those that are really drawn to the hobby seek out more specialized magazines or YouTube or podcasts. I venture to say the average woodworker, woodworker enjoys the hobby and has a nice array of tools. And the average wood talk listener is obsessed with the hobby. And Marcus is moving around. Okay, that's good. And has either a killer shop or dreams of owning one. Please keep doing what you're doing. I've only been into this hobby for three years. And for example, only just only got a jointer and bandsaw this year. But I still loved hearing you guys talking about using those tools that I didn't even have because I learned so much along the way. Hmm. I like his point, though. If someone is taking the time to seek out a show like this, they're probably in a different category. If you're going to take an average of that group, you're probably talking about your nerdier, um, you know, folks who are getting a little bit deeper into the concept and the craft. But YouTube is still a bit of an anomaly in that sense. People are seeking out this stuff, but I think a good percentage of them have no tools or maybe are hoping one day to have tools and they're still watching it because it's, it's there, it's free, it's entertaining. Um, mm-hmm. So I think YouTube, I think probably represents a slightly different thing, even though they have to go out and pursue that stuff to find it. It's not quite as deep into it as like, oh, you know, would talk as an audio podcast. I think to listen to an, a, a topical very specific, you know, niche topic audio podcast, you really have to be into it. Yeah. I think that Podcasts are still very much the domain of the geek anyway. Like, yes. And I mean that in the most endearing way possible. You know, when you <laughs> really start to geek out about a topic, podcasts usually come along um, yeah. shortly after. Mm-hmm. 
faux show. Okay, I think we have voicemail here. First one is from Roberto, and not that Roberto, different Roberto. Roberto, I'm your daddy. Hey guys, thank you so much for answering my question a couple shows back. Uh, I had a question regarding wood movement. Um, so, a couple months back before I knew so much about it, I built a table that was inserted into a steel frame. The problem is, though, that I guess due to wood movement, moisture, and all that, uh, now there's a giant crack right where the tabletop meets with the breadboard ends that I put on the side. Now, I attach the breadboard ends with just biscuits, pocket holes, and glue. Um, I'm wondering if there would be a better solution because I obviously want to make a new tabletop for the client. Uh, just to keep them happy, you know. Um, should I build on top of a stable surface like, say, sheets of plywood? Because we won't be able to see the plywood because it's an insert inside of a steel table. Um, yeah, so should I build with plywood and then do thin strips? Or how would you guys tackle this problem? Thank you guys so much. Love the show. Uh, and also, thank you so much to the albino gorilla for all that he's taught me about wood movement. Thanks, guys. Dude, I cannot tell you how much I love the fact that that's now your nickname. Yeah. Uh, I like it. It's <laughs> fitting. It's nice. I know what to go as for Halloween, too. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, I don't even need a costume. Right. You're all that's set. Awesome. Um, so we're talking about, from what I can gather with that it's just a basic tabletop with breadboard ends that he dropped into a metal frame mm-hmm. like almost some kind That's of rabbited frame where the whole thing is surrounded by metal yeah so even if he did breadboards and let's assume he did them properly the way he described it sounds like he probably didn't if it's just screwed and biscuited into place he probably didn't allow right. for movement but that's almost a moot point because nothing can move anyway <laughs> he's like yeah. got the whole thing contained within this frame so the only way I could see doing this is to treat this like any other framed project. You have to rely on a stable substrate and either get, you know, plywood with trim around it or try to use, like he said, thin strips. You could probably veneer on very thin strips, try to balance out the underside as well, but create the illusion of that same type of tabletop with breadboards. You could have cross pieces on each end. As long as it's thin enough, it should be okay. Um, especially if the client is really expecting that kind of look, that might be something to do. I mean, what else could you do? We're, we're, we're now down to the like, okay, pl- it's got to be a, a sheet of something inside a frame. There's not much you can do with solid wood. I would just do the whole thing on plywood. I would just get a whatever species of wood that you're planning on doing before and just drop it in there mm-hmm. and just glue your uh, breadboard ends on, which would just be strips of plywood attached um, perpendicular to the the main piece. Right. So you have basically a giant plywood tabletop you're not going to see the edges anyway presumably because it's dropped inside that frame so right. you might have to edge band it I don't know but if you don't have to edge band it just drop it right in there and be done with it uh, it's way easier way easier yeah. than my idea yeah make them they, they do the veneering at the factory just let them veneer the panels <laughs> of the factory for you they right? did it for you so you don't have to <laughs> yeah I mean obviously unless did he say what the species was he didn't I don't think so yeah I mean unless it's something weird in which case you know you can get him a casser ebony piece of plywood but might run you about 600 bucks. I'm guessing he wasn't using an ebony as a uh, solid wood tabletop. That's true. That would be more expensive actually <laughs> than the, uh, <laughs> than the piece of plywood. But yeah. And I'm yeah. thinking with a metal frame like that and we're 
he's doing it for a client. My guess, just in terms of what's popular these days, it was something rustic looking <laughs> like, cause that's what people want. So uh, just, you know, throwing a guess out there. That might be a little bit tricky though. If he's trying to replicate something like an old barn would look or something that might be tricky in plywood, but special situation. Yeah, good point. Okie doke. Where are we? Lost my train. Of Email. Oh, okay. Well, before we do that, if you want to send us a voicemail, remember that you can do that through your voice memo app on your mobile device and send that to woodtalkonline at gmail.com and we'll play it on the show. Telling you, the, the voicemails, I was on to something when I switched over from the Skype voicemails to this because they're awesome and they sound really good and I like it better. It's easier. Don't, don't have to <laughs> capture what you Skype. like. It kind of is because I have to do all the work. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's get to our email here. I've got one from Bill. Uh, Bill Berg, to be exact. He says, for a beginner hobbyist who is still mostly building from plans, is there a resource you'd recommend for determining things like load strength when moving on to making your own designs? I see plans for bunk bed frames, for example, that use one by sixes for the side aprons. And to me, that seems way too weak, especially with the beating that a kid can give a bed. But the person who wrote the plan presumably knows more than I do. Obviously, every wood species will vary and every board within a species will as well. What's a newbie to do? Uh, the first thing I would recommend, Bill, is to not assume what you've assumed. Never, <laughs> never assume. Especially because, if his name is Ted. Yeah. Yes. Never assume because you found it online and a person knows how to use Photoshop and Microsoft Word that the thing you are downloading is a viable, good plan. Especially today, there are a lot of people who are able to self-produce these plans. The three of us are in that group, but I like to think that we actually do produce good stuff. Um, there are plenty of people who do this who don't necessarily think about the long term. Uh, don't think about things like how much weight a certain thing can can bear, what type of joinery you should use to, uh, to, to complement the function of the piece. So first of all, always go into these things with a little bit of suspicion and look at your source, look at where you're getting it from, look at what people say about it, look at what people have built from that plan, and then just kind of make an educated decision on that. Um, there are other tools out there that you might take a look at. It's been a while since we mentioned this on the show, but the uh, Sagulator is a calculator that's uh, online at the Woodbin, I think it is, woodbin.com. So they have a bunch of online calculators. One of those can, you know, usually it's in terms of shelving, but you could still use it for something like a tabletop. Uh, you can determine based on the thickness, the species, the uh, distance between the supports, how much weight something will take before it starts to bend. Uh, so that actually is an incredibly good tool. Um, but generally speaking, now I kind of crapped on some of the plans out there, but let's take it back the other direction. <laughs> generally speaking, if something is fairly well built using decent materials and decent joinery, it's usually strong enough for the things that we're going to do to it. If you've ever looked at these joint um, stress tests, the amount of pounds that each one of these joints can take before it breaks is immense. And typically whatever structure you're building consists of, you know, at least four of those joints. So right. I think things are usually we overbuild and over engineer. Um, the one example I always recommend people look at, if you're ever in, ever in a PetSmart or any other pet store, look at their aquarium stands. And if you know anything about uh -huh. aquariums, they are heavy. Water is extremely heavy. And if you've got a, you know, 150 pound, 200 plus, not 150 pound, uh, 150 gallon, 200 plus gallon tank of water, plus all the fish That's and the gravel, it's a lot. 
but go look at what they sell. And this is a manufacturer who builds these things to support that weight. They know exactly what's going on there and go look inside the cabinet and you will be amazed at how little structure there is to support those tanks. And my point being, you don't necessarily, like we, we do tend to overthink these things. Now there is a certain amount of engineering and the direction of the boards that's leading to that thing being as strong as it is, but that should put your mind at ease that when you think a one by six might not be enough for a kid's bed, that maybe it is. And we might just be overthinking how much weight it's, it actually needs to take. But mm-hmm. if you use a construction grade one by six, now you're talking about a material that's pretty soft. So depending on how you join it, you could very well have problems over time because the joints will kind of compress and wear down or the uh, lag bolts that you use or whatever uh, might start to loosen up over time. So there, there are other considerations. Yeah. But I mean, in his case of a one by six for a kid's bed, I don't actually see a real issue with that because it's not just a one by six. It's a one by six joined into a frame mm-hmm. that probably has uh, slats joining it together or or not. Um, but the one by six is going to be turned on the six inch direction. Which is and you incredibly have to think about, strong. Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, look at your, your technical specs, go to, you know, wood database, go to my website, McElvain.com and look at the, the technical specifications of like crushing strength, bending strength, modulus of elasticity, modulus of rupture. They're measured in the millions of pounds per square inch. Um, and when, and when you start, orienting the the force because again we we need to think about static load and dynamic force you know chairs totally different story because there's all kinds of dynamic force people lean back in chairs and put the force in different vectors than what you would expect just sitting down on the chair Mm -hmm. a bed you know you can jump up and down on the bed i suppose as a little kid but because it's built in a frame and because there's slats that will prevent those those frames from kind of bowing inward or stretching outward, the force is really straight down in that six inch direction. So then it comes down to what's the joint area look like. And generally tenons on a bed are pretty beefy. Uh, a lot of times they're not even that deep because there's some sort of bed bolt hardware or something in there. So yeah, it, it, you can't just look at it in a vacuum and look at that one piece. How does that piece fit into the system? How does that piece fit into the structure? And uh, it's shocking how strong um, a one by six can be. Well, the funny thing is with the sagulator there, again, it's, it's based for shelves. That's kind of what they're looking at here. So if you were to take a one by six and you were trying to figure out, even if this number isn't accurate, it should still illustrate the point. Um, you would have to put it into this calculator when they ask for the thickness, you would have to say six inches thick. Right. Yeah. Cause they're actually yeah, looking at that dimension. When you put that in, I did uh, here, let me see shelf load. <laughs> It's not six inches, it's a one by six. Let's see. Uh, Right, but the orientation of a one by six in a bed is what he's saying. I know, but it's not six six inches, it's a one by six. Listen, he's going to sue you. He's going to sue you if you keep this stuff up, Shannon. You are (laughs) part of the lumber industry, man. Oh, oh, man. My Rubo bench top (laughs) is four inches thick, and we could have a party on top of it right now. (laughs) It's it's not sagging, so there you go. So I just, I may have done something wrong here. I'm just doing this on the fly, but I made the shelf span 60 inches. I put a, a load of 300 pounds on on it and it's a centered load not uniform uh uniform load is, is not going to be as bad uh but it's a center load 300 pounds and six inches in thickness um depth i put it to it's not two i realize that but anyway i don't think that really is going to factor in very much so over 60 inches the sag is 0.005 per foot <laughs> much not much 
You know what I mean? So, I mean, just this calculator can be useful for things like that if you're just trying to, con- you know, convince yourself that something is going to be strong enough for a particular job. So, um, yeah. What is strong? Oriented the right way. Yeah. That. That. What he said. Who's next? Oh, I'm okay. drinking, Matt. Good. Oh, well, I, I don't know. Awkward like, pause. Who's next? I don't know. I thought <laughs> someone has something else to say about this. <laughs> this is a good topic. That could have been a whole show. We need some awkward anyway. pause music for Matt. I'm going to work on that. <laughs> right, like right now? or No, no, no. Later, later. <laughs> but thank you for <laughs> illustrating. During the awkward pause. Thank you for illustrating the need. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. This is from Phil. <laughs> I have made some nice furniture from plans because I feel like as a newish woodworker that following plans allows me to concentrate on the joinery and milling without stressing on the design details. However, I find myself concentrating on one aspect at a time. For instance, with a cabinet, I'll mill up and work on the case first, then I'll mill up and work on the back, then the door, and so on. Am I doing this wrong? Should I mill up everything first and just go with the cut list as one big effort? I think that I'm allowing myself to make up for mistakes by prepping one piece at a time. How would you approach a typical build? Uh, okay, so I, I took this because this is kind of something's going on in my life right now with the high boy build. That build has a lot of parts, <laughs> like a, like over a hundred like individual parts, maybe more than that. I don't know. It's, it's got a lot of parts, and it's not something you're gonna like knock out in a weekend. So like you would if you could, if you were to mill everything up all at once, you would be sitting there for like I don't know, probably like a month if you're like working pretty quickly at it. So. Even with even with that, that means six years for me, people. Yes, <laughs> they could like grow a new tree by the time you're done. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so the way that I go about this is, I I go ahead and I go through everything. I do all my rough cuts. And I do a rough milling to get everything at least clean up a little bit, so I can see the grain a little better and get everything down to a rough size. And then as I'm working through my project, I'll take those parts and mill them down to the final thickness. Bring them back into flat, get them all ready to go, cut them down to length, cut them to width or whatever, and then incorporate them into the project. And that allows the wood to kind of rest and do its thing between that initial milling and when I bring it to my project. And I don't have to worry about the wood sitting around possibly uh, warping before I have the chance to cut joinery on it, for instance. And um, this kind of makes it for a much easier workflow. And again, with we've talked about this in the past, going through and just going through your cut list and cutting the size first before building everything probably not the best way to go because you're end up probably going to look like a part that's too short because of that cumulative error thing. So by kind of bringing pieces into your project as you go, you don't have to worry about that nearly, well, hopefully at all. Mm-hmm. And things should go a lot more smoothly. Hopefully. Hopefully. I'm hoping for you. Yeah. Also keep in mind things that need to be cut to the same size. So there may be certain, you know, maybe you have multiple doors, multiple drawers, uh, anytime you have parts, even if you may not be able to get to them, you have to kind of weigh your options. Yeah, maybe it'll be another week before I can get to that. But if I mill it now, I can make sure I have everything dead on the same because that same stop block will be in place and I could batch these out. You know, so sometimes you have to do that, uh, you know, bit of a mental math in your head to figure out is it worth the risk that this might move a little bit for the sake of having the the length, for instance, be dead on exactly the same. Um, thickness is like that too. A lot of times the thickness of parts I like to try to get them all around the same time, especially if they're parts that that need to be exactly the same. Like if they're not, it'll screw up the project. Uh, try to mill them at the same time. But again, if it's too far in advance, then you're running into some problems there with movement potentially. 
Yeah, it's it's really not an either or thing. I mean, you could you could say go all parts list, trust the parts list. Well, that might get you in trouble because something might be short. It might have compounding errors over a part. But you also can't like like he's saying, just focus on this, then just focus on this. Each kind of subtask could possibly relate to the other ones. Totally. And you know, plans may have you nice drawings and everything, but a lot of plans aren't really good at drawing out the process. Um, and you can really get yourself in trouble. Um, I, I mentioned this on a show a while ago. I was planning on doing the moldings on the, my blanket chest lid and I was going to, you know, glue the glue and peg the breadboards in no big deal. And then it suddenly occurred to me, well, how am I going to stick the moldings if the breadboards are in place? And I was like peg in hand <laughs> starting to pound it through the drawboard when I was suddenly like, Oh crap, Uh-oh. you know? So the order of operations, if I had done that, would have been the end of the world, but it would have made the molding a heck of a lot more difficult. Um, I just put a half mortise lock in the front of this chest, and I had about a half an inch of clearance <laughs> to move my mallet up and down in order to chisel out that oh. little half mortise recess. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, you know, where they make mortise lock chisels for that. But I thought, hey, the interior of this chest is 16 inches. I don't need to worry about that. If it had been a half an inch smaller, I, I mean, I'd have to go out and buy a you know butt chisel or something like that. But still... Mm-hmm. All those little things, you you may think, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to focus on the case now, then the door later, then the drawer later. It's a good idea to kind of plan out those steps, but then step back and how do those interrelate? And like Mark was saying, is there are there efficiencies, like a bunch of stuff the same thickness, maybe a mill it all at the same time? Um, but you never know. You know, Maybe I need to do the door first before I do the drawer because it might help me later on. Mm-hmm. It's no simple answer. There, yeah, it's like these. The process from beginning to end is something of a living organism almost. It's like as it goes, I may not even be able to outline it perfectly to tell you what I'm doing, but as I go, I get an idea. Oh, this came up. Okay, I need to put that in there as well. And you know, if you don't really think about this stuff ahead of time, you could very well end up with driving that peg and going, "Well, crap! Now what do I do?" <laughs> right, uh, right. But at the same time, you do have to kind of just get in it. And sometimes the project just dictates you take different directions as you go. It's, it's, it's not an easy thing. Definitely yeah, not. A I don't know about thing. you guys, but filming my work has made that easier. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You have to, you have to think yeah. about like the process and everything. I definitely yeah. think about it way more than I would if I were just kind of going in the shop just to build something. Yeah, true. Okay. This one comes from Matt Williams. Uh, he says, I started a dresser in a nightstand about three and a half years ago and slowly worked on it until we moved two years ago. I had everything done except the drawers. Since then, it's been in the in-laws air-conditioned basement. I'm now about ready to work on it again, but I work out of my garage, no air conditioning, and with it being summer, heat and humidity. What should I worry about as far as moving it out of an air-conditioned space and trying to finish it? Jeez. Well, if you you know, thought about wood movement while you were building it, you shouldn't have to worry about anything. You should, you know, maybe give it some time to kind of settle into its new environment before you start digging into it. But that could be a day, could be a couple of days, or it could be two weeks. I mean, if you worked on it for two years, you're obviously not in a big hurry. So put it in the shop and let it sit there for a couple of weeks. Um, If you built it with a bunch of wood movement concerns to begin with, it's not going to matter. You know, it could sit in that that basement all its life and it's still going to have problems um, with with wood movement because, you know, you you can't avoid unless it's a hermetically sealed room. You know, it's just our climate controlled. It's just not going to it's not going to work. So my bet is you're probably OK. Um, you what do you say? He still has the drawer done everything but the drawers. Well, 
that's a perfect example because obviously this is a moving part that um, you need to plan for wood movement. Well, being as it's summer, let that thing acclimate, let it expand a little bit in the heat and humidity, and then build your drawer so that it's like a piston fit because it's only going to shrink from there. So you're actually building, you're going to be tackling that at at the perfect time of year. You know it's only going to move in one direction. It's a safe bet anyway that it's only going to move in one direction. So build it to be a nice not necessarily tight fit, but piston fit, and it will only loosen on you um, through the fall. So I don't really think you've got too much to worry about, frankly. Just give it some time to to get used to the new space, to get to know the new space, you know? <laughs> you want it to feel space. comfortable. Hello, garage. Int- introduce it to your Hello. tools. Introduce it to your bench. Sing to it. May Hello, as well, because it sounds like it's going to be there for another year at least. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Make it make it part of your shop furniture like oh. I have done. You know, turn your blanket chest into a podcasting stand. Yeah, it's good. So I'm guessing Matt's a busy guy. He doesn't have a chance to get in to work on this stuff that often. Okay, so if you want to help support the show, you can. You could do something as simple as leaving us a review in the iTunes store. We always appreciate that. Uh, you could set up a little Patreon daily whacker at patreon.com slash woodtalk, and we have a bunch of different re- reward levels where you could participate there. And uh, let's see. Shannon, why, why is the email extra? Never mind. I forgot something. So we took out the note about the email extra. I'm all confused now. So if you set up a Patreon level of $4 or higher, we do a email extra uh, pretty much every show, right? And I think this one is about, what are we talking about? Spacing on uh, slab tabletops or something like that? Yeah, something like that. So <laughs> you can subscribe to the Patreon feed where you not only get the regular show and the weekend show, but you also get the email extra every week. And uh, that's pretty darn cool. So Shannon, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. Very cool. If you have comments, questions, or nickname suggestions, you can send them to us. Use your voice memo app on your smartphone and email that to woodtalkonline at gmail.com. You can go to woodtalkshow.com slash contact and type out a comment or just go to our website at woodtalkshow.com. Find this episode and leave your comment there. Uh, You can find us on the Twitters at woodtalkshow as well as on the Facebook Although I don't think we post much there anymore because I got a reminder today saying there's so many thousand people who miss you on Facebook. You should post to it. <laughs> Trust me. And I Facebook, did, I did what us. I do with that, that notification normally and just ignore it. The so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And we also have our own websites. And if you don't know what those are yet, then go back and listen to a hundred shows and you'll figure it out. Shannon tells you every time, every darn time. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Time. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Goodbye to you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.